Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians this morning. Same chapter as last week, chapter 14. So this is, um, this is a interesting, this is really the heart of the book in many ways. Like Paul has laid out this, this church in Corinth is a mess. We've talked about this many times, about all the different ways that they are a mess. Uh, and, and in some ways they're more of a mess than we are, which is encouraging. Uh, you know, that, that maybe we, we've gotten some things right that they got wrong. We should because we have Paul's letter and another one from Paul to the same church, 2 Corinthians, that we can learn from, right? But we also have some of the same problems. And that's also encouraging to know that even at the very beginning when the, you know, Jesus had just been there, <laughs> right? He had just been there. They were talking to people that knew Jesus personally in the flesh, had walked around with him and eaten a meal with him, right? That early, it's this much of a mess, all right? That makes me feel better, right? When I look around at the state of the church and I go, man, what a mess. It's like God goes, yeah, yeah, this is how it's going to be, right? Um, and Paul gives some, some very clear practical instructions in chapters 12 to 14, okay, that flow from all the other things he's talked about before that. So if you want to go back and listen to those sermons, I encourage you to do it. Uh, especially with this, I would go back to last week if you weren't here last week or didn't hear that. And if you can, the week before that, right? And we can just keep saying this until the first week. But the, the last couple of weeks are really important because this morning I'm looking at the gift of prophecy specifically. And the reason for that is clear based on last week because Paul is addressing those two gifts in this church because they're really abusing them. From, from what we can tell, when you walked into a worship service in Corinth, it was absolute madness. You had people, like I guess, like shouting in tongues over each other, trying to address the congregation like in tongues, no interpretation. You had people prophesying over top of each other. It seems like even because Paul says I, you need to prophesy, when, if you're going to prophesy to the church, do it in order and, and only two or three of you. So apparently they were sort of talking over each other and like dueling prophecies. That's what I imagine, like dueling prophecies. And, and competing with each other and not being very loving or courteous, right? And so imagine a church service like that where this is the kind of thing going on. And there were worse things. The way they took communion together was, an, was, was just an absolute abomination to the point where some people had died and gotten sick because God was so displeased with the way they took communion together, all right? As far as I know, we don't have that problem, Right? And so that's, that's why Paul's addressing these two gifts. It's not because they're special in some way, but it's interesting to me at the same time that we still see these two gifts predominantly are the ones that get abused. I've jokingly said many times, no one's complaining about the gift of wisdom. Right? Wow, that wisdom gift's a real trouble, real problem. We need to quit doing that. We need less wisdom in the church. Nobody's saying that. There's something about these two that we sort of consistently get wrong, and that's and Paul is trying to correct that imbalance and those those abuses so that we have some clarity. Okay, so I talked about tongues last week. Uh, you can go back and listen to that to kind of get the skinny on tongues. And this morning we're looking at prophecy. So last week I gave you an oversimplified definition of New Testament prophecy, which is the human report of divine revelation. That's a very simple definition. 
Essentially, all you're doing is you're praying to God and listen, for someone else and listening to what he says and then reporting that to the person. This is not what often I think people think of when they think of prophecy because the examples of prophecy we get like in, in culture and media is not this. It's like a sixth sense that you have like a superpower where you can like send out brain waves and read somebody's mind or understand their motivations, their hidden secret motivations, or, or somehow see into the future with some power that you hold yourself. And then you can tell people what's going to happen in their life next. And this is kind of the, you know, the fortune teller model of prophecy, right? Well, this person has some kind of power in themselves that's supernatural. And that is not what New, Testa New Testament prophecy is. New Testament prophecy is I have no power in and of myself, okay? All I have is the Holy Spirit who speaks to me. I ask God, and he tells me stuff, because God likes talking to his kids, and he likes talking to his kids about his other kids, saying, hey, I want you to bless, I want you to tell Vic how much I love him. And so I go tell Vic specifically how God told me how much he loves Vic, right? I'm not... I don't have this power in and of myself. That's the first thing you need to understand about prophecy. It's a gift like all the others. It's an expression of the Holy Spirit, not an expression of you and your greatness. Like you were born with some gift, some ability, like in the movies. That's not what we're talking about, okay? And it's not at all the model we're given in the New Testament. So more commonly, people will say that prophecy is God speaking to you for someone else. I think the problem with that is that it implies that God is speaking to you with an audible voice. This was a struggle I had as a little kid. As I, I told you last week, like I kind of grew up around all of this. It was very normal to me. And I really struggled with prophecy because all the, the, the older people in the church there would say things like, God, I got up this morning and God spoke to me. And he told me this and they would say something. And I would like, that makes it sound like like they woke up and like Jesus was sitting on their bed and he, they had a conversation and they audibly heard him talking to them. And that kind of amazed me. I was like, I would love, that sounds pretty cool. Like I want to have that experience. And I wasn't having, I was expecting some other voice to come into my head, right? That was like, Ben, this is the Lord. <laughs> Tell Alan, stop doing that, right? Whatever it is, right? And, and I and I was, I was, so I'm sitting around like, you know, waiting for this to happen, and it would never happen that way. And, and that's exceedingly rare. It's, it's more rare to hear the audible voice of God than it is to have a physical appearance of an angel in Scripture. So just, just think about that for a minute, how exceedingly rare it would be for you to actually hear. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's not what we're talking about here when we talk about prophecy. So my, my first tip is please stop saying that by the way. Just stop saying God spoke to me. It, it clarify, at least clarify what you mean. That you don't mean, because it causes tremendous confusion to people who don't know what you're talking about. That's charismatic language that does not translate, because if, if, you know, think of the, the little, you know, eight-year-old Ben Cotton who does not understand what you mean and is wondering if God really loves him or cares for him in the same way he does other people because he's not hearing that voice the way you seem to be hearing it, right? Um, these things are important, All right, but I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Um, prophecy is often not predictive, which is another, I think, myth. Sometimes it is, but often it's not. It's more like what Paul describes where God lets you know what, that he sees you, knows you, and loves you in a very specific way. This is what I gave you the example last week of the woman in our church who came, and there was a visitor here who said to her, God just put it on my heart to tell you that I love you. And she had specifically asked God for that that morning. She was desperate to hear him say that. And when he said it to her in that way, it just absolutely blew her away. So the word revelation makes a lot of people very nervous. And I understand that. There's good reasons for being nervous about that word. Um, because they believe that all revelation from God is contained in Scripture. There's no other revelation. We use the, the Revelation can have different meanings. Once the Bible has been formed, no more revelation is to be had. So you can understand if you think that, and then you hear me say, um, it's a revelation from God, you go, wait a minute, are you writing scripture? And it's like, no, we're not writing scripture. If you read the scripture, you'll see lots of examples of the word revelation being used to apply to information from God, divine information from God that is not on the level of scripture. Okay, and I give you some examples in the notes. Um, this is probably the biggest point of concern for those that argue against the gifts for being to being for today. The one they really struggle with is prophecy because of this point. That and, and let's be honest, charismatics have not been very good over the years of clarifying that they are when someone prophesies that they are not writing scripture. It's not the same as Isaiah saying what Isaiah said. Right? That's when Isaiah prophesied, you got the book of Isaiah, right? When if I prophesy, we don't get the book of Benjamin, okay? That's not how this works. And we haven't been clear about this. I don't know why, but we haven't. And it's caused a lot of justifiable consternation from the rest of the church world going, what is, what is it exactly that you're doing? Are you, and why is it not scripture if you call it prophecy? So we'll talk about that real quick. Um, this is not a problem with the gift of prophecy. First of all, this is a problem with how prophecy is often used in an unbiblical manner where it's not clear um, what it is you're doing. To be fair, or I already said that. Um, so the Bible doesn't seem to teach that all revelation has the same quality and authority as canonized scripture. There's some examples. Um, I think the big reason why New Testament prophecy is not the same as Old Testament prophecy, which is what we're talking about, right? The difference between a New Testament prophet and an Old Testament prophet. Why is one not scripture when the other one is? 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 32. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, there it is, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Okay, so, so it's very clear there in multiple places that the prophecy and the prophet themselves, the words they say and the person themselves are to be submitted 
to the rest of the body to be, to be weighed. Their words are weighed. Their wor- is this from God or is it not from God? Is this person from God or are they not from God? Are they so, in fact, you may have a word from God and Paul tells you there, there's pr- just practically if someone else has said the same thing, you should be silent. But God spoke to me. Yeah, that's not the only qualification you need to be able to say the thing that God spoke to you. He doesn't say God didn't speak to you to be silent. He says God speaks to you, but he also spoke to someone else and they say the thing you were going to say, you need to be quiet. Now, can you imagine going to Isaiah or Elijah and saying, yeah, God spoke to you, but you need to be silent? No, because they were operating with a different kind of authority and a different paradigm. The last of those prophets was John the Baptist, who stood outside the city and he ranted against Israel and he wore the weird clothes, and he was baptizing people, which was itself an assault and an offense against many Jews at the time. He was the last of those, the sort of free agent prophet, speaking of his own authority, that ended with him. So New Testament prophecy is subject to human fallibility. Instead of stoning the prophet, we weigh the words and the character of the one prophesying it to determine if it's truly from God. So we don't have a pile of stones by you know each of the elders' chairs, and when someone gets says, "God, I think God spoke to me," and and here's what I want to share, and we like wrong, and we hurl stones at them like we would an Old Testament prophet. That's good news, okay? But there's a difference. In the New Testament prophetic paradigm, the prophet and his words are subject to the authority of the ones to whom he prophesies. That is really unique that when, if I give you a prophecy and say, this is what God shared with, put on my heart to share with you, I am submitting it to you. I'm not putting it over you. I'm submitting it to you. And you're the one that has to weigh it. You and your church have to weigh that and decide, is this from God or is not from God? That is not how it went in the Old Testament. It was those guys God gave an authority over Israel an authority, a governmental authority over them where this is what God says, and if you disagree with it, this, these are the terrible things that are going to happen to you, right? People are going to die, there will be plagues, the, the sun will shine, but there will be no rain, right? There are all these terrible things will happen. Judgment's going to come if you, and of course prophets also got killed a lot because people didn't like what they said. We don't do that in the New Testament. It's a different paradigm. So there are three parts. I think this is really helpful um, in thinking about New Testament prophecy, especially distinguishing it from kind of the myths about it. There's three parts to any prophecy. This is from Sam Storms. He's written a lot of really good stuff on this topic. Um, Three parts. One is revelation, which is the, the part that God actually said. All right. Number two is the interpretation, which is how the person interprets what God said before they share it or maybe as they share it. This is all happening inside the mind and heart of the person who's listening to God. And number three, application, which is how the prophecy is implemented by the one who receives it. Okay? Each of those parts is got its own kind of set of problems. All right? um, the revelation, whatever God actually said, is infallible. Okay? We cannot say, this is the part that the cessationists, people who don't believe in the gifts anymore, will say, well, how can you say it's fallible if God is saying it. Either God says it and it's 
infallible or he didn't say it. And they're right. All right? What, but we often get it wrong. We either miss, either God didn't say it, that's one possibility. Number two, our interpretation of what he said to us is wrong. And all of this happens inside, like inside your head. You're, you're having this kind of interaction with God. And you go, I think God's telling me this, and this is what I think I'm going to say. And even as you say it, you're kind of interpreting what he's showing you or what you're feeling. And that's where things get messed up. You know, if you had ate the wrong thing last night or in the wrong mood, maybe you take what God is putting on your heart and you twist it into something that's angry, right, if you're in a bad mood. Or if you just are afraid of saying something that might be perceived as corrective, you soften it more than you maybe you should. There's all sorts of things that happen inside of you as you're before you even say anything. And that is definitely fallible, right? And then, of course, the application is what the person does with it. Like, how many times have I preached a sermon and some of you have come up to me, wow, it's great what you said about blah, 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 and I think I didn't say that at all. I didn't say those words. And I don't know what room you're in but you heard something, and maybe it's great, or maybe it's not. I've had people get mad at me for things that I'm pretty sure I didn't say, and I had to go back and listen, like, I did not say that thing. But they're mad at me for saying, there's a lot that can happen, right, between what you say out of your mouth and what a person hears and what they do with it, right? That's also fallible. So this is very helpful, I think, in thinking about how we weigh prophecy. This is what Paul's telling us to do, right? We submit things to each other. I think this is what God is saying to you, and you weigh it. Is this from God? Is it not from God? Well, how do you weigh it? This is helpful. One, is it in harmony with Scripture in the content and tone? Sola Scripturia means Scripture alone is our highest authority. It doesn't mean it's our only authority. It's the highest one. So you can go read books and learn things and educate yourself and ask a friend and ask your pastor. It's just scripture is always at the top of the heap of how you judge and weigh things. So when someone says God is saying this to you, the first, your first stop and really your last stop is, is it in harmony? I say, say it that way specifically. I don't mean it doesn't go, just go against scripture. Those things are pretty obvious. Is it, is it in harmony with Scripture, not just in the content, but in the tone in which it's given? Sometimes somebody can say something to you in a tone where if you were to write it down on paper, it would, it would be fine. But there's a, a, maybe an angry or judgmental or critical tone or spirit in what they say, and you feel criticized, even though what they said was not necessarily critical. I mean, I can say God loves you, with a tone that you feel like, I know God loves you. You immediately feel defensive. Oh, I know God loves me. Well, God loves you. You're like, I know. God, stop. Like, right? Like, what's, but if you wrote, if I wrote you a text, God loves you, you'd be like, oh, thanks. You see what it means? So their tone is important. And, and that's part of what you're weighing is the tone of it. Is this the way God speaks to you? Is this the way God speaks to us in Scripture? Is, 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 he, is it loving? Even if it's a correction, it should be loving and feel upbuilding. Does it build up or call to repentance? Or does it tear down, right? Even a call to repentance, as I said, can, should build you up. Run to God. That's a call to repentance. Run to him. Repent. Run to him. 
Like, stop living this way. Run to him. Right? That's a call to repentance, and it builds you up at the same time. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 to 25, he says, If, therefore, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? We looked at that last week. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's the goal. Wouldn't you love to see that happening? Where the, the word of God is so accurate that when it happens, people who are far from him go, whoa, something's going on here. My, my heart has been exposed. The things that not even I saw were going on in my heart just got exposed. He knows me, and he really knows me. And then I, it just, how can you not repent when that happens? That's what we want to happen. That's the goal. Thirdly, is there agreement, at least among the team of elders and leaders, that it is from the Spirit? Agreement's really important. It's one of the emphasis of Paul in chapter 14. It's not a solo activity. I, I don't like anybody that says I have a, you know, something God, I feel like God wants me to share with you. I, I'd rather not hear that privately. But if I do, I'm going to share it with somebody and kind of go, what do you think about this? This is really important. It creates a, not just accountability, but a, you don't know. I mean, you just, I'm sorry, you don't know everything. <laughs> you, all, you, are not, you don't work as an island. And, and if it's wrong for a, a prophetic person to to be a free agent and try to act like john the baptist to the church right then it's also wrong for you to receive that that way there's an agreement here that all are weighing these prophecies together whether or not it's from god or not and whether or not the interpretation is right and how you should apply it all three pieces are important So I would say all prophecy, all lastly, and does the character of the messenger confirm the message or call it into question? That's also important. Character matters. We've talked about that a lot in Corinthians, but it, it certainly applies here. Character matters. The character of the one giving it. If you would not trust this person to give you advice about your life in general because they don't have the character for you to trust them, then why would you trust anything from their mouth, including something they claim is from God, Right? So their character actually matters more than what they're saying. So the only way to know that is to know them or to know someone that you trust that also knows them, right? The relationships are very important. So all prophecy that exists outside local church authority is illegitimate. Think about that. All prophecy that exists outside, free agent prophecy and free agent prophecy. Are illegitimate. In other words, unweighed prophecy is not New Testament prophecy. This is this would eliminate if we all did this. This would eliminate all the things that people react to about what's wrong with prophecy. If we just did this, I don't know this person. I don't know anyone that knows this person. This is complete. This person's not even in a church. If they are, I don't know where it is or who it is. This person is unsubmitted. And he's giving me a prophecy like he's over me instead of, no, you're under me and my church when you give me a prophecy. That's how this works. This is not, you're not Isaiah, man. <laughs> you're not Elijah. 
those days are over. This is a different paradigm, and you need to get in that paradigm, right? That would eliminate all the problems, honestly. It's like a campfire with no fire ring. I gave the analogy, I think, last week or a couple of weeks ago about power tools in the hands of three-year-olds. Fire is another great example with prophecy. You build a campfire with no ring around it. What's going to happen to that fire? It may be great for a minute. It's going really great. It's warm. It's comforting. It's wonderful. It's impressive. Everyone's gathering around to stare at it, right? And then it just keeps getting wider and wider, and somebody starts to go, hey, maybe, maybe there should be some, some kind of a ring around this fire. And you're like, no, it's fine. It's fire. We, we started it, right? And we got this. We're on top of it. And next thing you know, the whole entire campsite and the woods and the forest are in flames. And then we scratch our heads and wonder, and God, Paul's like, just put a ring around it. And the ring is the church, the local church, local authority, local people, local relationships. It's not enough for the one prophesying to be in a local church, but the prophetic words themselves must also be in the local church. Does that make sense? It's the words and the person are both submitted so this effectively eliminates the legitimacy of what I'm calling internet prophets, which is sort of the modern-day form of John the Baptist, which is a dead paradigm. This person out there on the internet, you don't know where they are. They're in some weird studio or whatever. You have no idea. that Maybe they're in a church. Maybe they're not. I don't know how they're connected or who they're submitted to. And, this, and the word itself is not in a local church. It's out on the internet, being shared around. And it has no accountability. No one's weighing it. And so we just share and share and share because it's, you just can just click a button to share it. And I think this is completely outside of what Paul is conceiving of how New Testament prophecy works. It's completely outside of it. The only way to legitimize such a prophetic word is to bring it under the authority of your local church to have it weighed. We're not all gathered around together going, hey, let's weigh this together as a body. Do we agree with this? And I kind of look at our elders and go, yeah, this is from God or it's not from God, the way it works here on a Sunday when we're gathered together. That's how Paul talks about this. He makes no room for this idea of the roaming guy who roams around and, and throws the words out there into the sea where there's no, no weighing happening. Maybe he's personally connected to some people, but the word isn't. It's like throwing sparks out into a dry forest and driving on. It's wrong. It's not right. So I would, I would just ask you, we've got an election season coming up. You know, it's funny, like, I don't know one, I know a lot of pastors who believe in New Testament prophecy. I was on a Zoom call during COVID with pastors from all over the U.S. and all over the world and this topic came up of internet prophets. Not one of them was happy about it. They all just start moaning, going, these people are driving by my church and throwing you know, flares out the window of division and driving on, and none of it's being weighed. It's just being passed around. And it's now I've got to put out a fire that I didn't start. It's got nothing to do with me. It's some joker on the internet. And these are all people who believe wholeheartedly in New Testament prophecy, that it is important and needed, and they see it, and they promote it, just like 
We do probably more than we do, to be frank with you. They have special meetings devoted to prophecy. I'd like to do that. And so we got an election coming up. This is going to happen again. And please just don't, be, don't, throw, don't pass the flare. Ask yourself, is this submitted locally? And maybe just before you share it out on the Internet, send it to one of your elders and say, what do you, and submit it. Say, what do you think of this? And then if, it, if they're like, yeah, this is great. This is a blessing. It's a blessing to the church. I would love, you should send this out to everybody, right? Or it might be, this is icky and weird and gross and divisive. And it's not, it's not what Paul, Paul wouldn't like this, right? I think that's a good way to proceed. So how do you prophesy? I want to be practical about this. Like I said, I struggled with this immensely growing up because I expected another voice, like some kind of intrusive thought to come into my, my brain. Like, you know, I, I just, that's how I imagined it. That is not how, if that's happening with you, maybe we should, maybe you need some help. I don't know. Um, we should talk about it. I don't know right? It's not, it's not the typical way I think it happens for most people. What I learned is that what it sounds like for God to reveal something to you is it sounds like your thoughts. I mean, that changed my life when I figured that out. <laughs> I feel like we just stopped right there. It sounds like your thoughts, but they don't come from you. It's not you. It's like, it's, it's, you kind of go, well, is that, why am I thinking that? Why am I feeling that? It sounds like your thoughts, only on closer inspection, the thought didn't come from you. The same as for feelings, mental pictures, sometimes even physical sensations. I've met many people who, when, they, when God wants them to pray for somebody, this might sound weird to you, but it's really common for their hands to get hot, and then they lay hands on somebody and pray for them, which is a very biblical thing, and God does stuff, and then it goes away when they pray. I would love to have that. That's pretty cool. That's a simple system for me. How do I know when to pray for someone? Oh, there's, my hands are warm. That's sweet. That's clear for me. I, even I can understand that, God. I'm, I'm on it, right? I'll pray. That's a great system. I'd love God to work that out for me. But, so it's not just thoughts. It's also feelings. Sometimes, you know, you just feel an overwhelming feeling of compassion or love for somebody, or uh, you just want to encourage them, and, and you just go, I just... God's put it on my heart to encourage you. I just want to tell you, and you just start telling them what you feel, right? So I think that's way easier than expecting a voice to come out of nowhere that's not your thought. You will always question if this thought is from God or from you, always. And you will not know until you say something. I said last week with tongues the same way. You're not going to know if you can speak in tongues until you try it. So go try it, and try it often. Same thing with prophecy. You have a 50-50 chance. Before you say anything, it's 50-50. I don't care how confident you think you are. The truth is you can be right or you can be wrong. It's going to be one or the other, and there's no way of knowing until you open your mouth and you say the thing. That is the hard part about it. It's that step of faith of opening your mouth and saying, look, I I'm super nervous about this. It feels super weird, but I just feel like I should say this to you because I've been praying for you. You think that's from God? Right? Doing that thing. You will not know until that moment if it's from God or not. So don't sit there and 
torture yourself wondering, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's me, it's God, it's me, it's God, it's me, it's God, it's me. It's over and over and over again for an hour. Just go say it, and then you'll find out. You will not know. That will not answer the question. There's not going to be, it won't be like, it's not like if you sit there and you ask God enough, God, please confirm this to me, that suddenly an angel is going to appear and say, yes, it's from God. That almost never happens. Though that did happen recently to Christina Rios. God gave her a scripture, and she went up for somebody. She went over and told them the scripture. She said, I don't even know why this, God put this on my heart to give you. I don't even know what it means for you, but I just felt like I should tell you the scripture. And that girl said, I've been sitting here with that same scripture, wrestling with God because I, I, I want to share it with the church, and I have something to say about it. And I've been sitting here going, no, no, it's me. It's not from God. It's not from God. It's just me. And I'm wrestling here for the entire worship service. And Christina walks over and says, here's the scripture. I don't even know what it means for you. But that rarely happens. That's amazing. But that rarely happens. You're just going to have to say it. And I'm sure even she didn't know until she got up there and opened her mouth and said it, that she discovered it was from God. This is why weighing is important. Is it doesn't just give you protection for those who are hearing the word. It also gives you the freedom to try things. Because somebody, nobody's going to just say, oh, that's definitely from God because you said it was. They're going to weigh it. And you're submitting it to them. Not, there's not this responsibility for what if I get it wrong. That's their responsibility to discern that. So here's some steps. Start by praying for someone in your mind. Ask God to show you how he feels and how he thinks about them. Meditate on that for a long time if needed. Go back to chapter 13. Love. This whole thing is motivated, all the gifts are motivated by love. Not by you being impressive. Not so that you can say, oh, I, God spoke to me. Apparently he didn't to the rest of you because I'm the only one with the microphone. Right? That is not the goal. The goal is to to love. So you pray for somebody, God, show me how much you love this person. And what's going to happen is you're going you're to start to feel that. You're going to start to have thoughts about what that looks like for them and specific things about how God feels and what he thinks about them. All of it driven by this how immensely and eternally he loves that person. And, and you're going to find yourself wanting to say that thing to them. One just flows into the other. But it doesn't start with, God, I, I, I really want to just do the right thing and, and say something nice to Randy, and so I'm just, I need you to talk to me. Give me something to say. It starts with, God, how much do you love Randy? What does that mean? God, it means that you just care about him deeply, and he can do no wrong. Like, no matter what he does or how he lives or what he thinks or what he says or where he goes, you love him, and your love doesn't move an inch. And you just start thinking about that, and all of a sudden you start, man, i got to go talk to Randy. I'm going to pray for Randy. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to tell him how God feels about him. That is prophecy. That's way simpler than waiting for some voice to come out of heaven and give you a message. Don't do all the steps. I got carried away and didn't look at my notes. Yeah, okay. Form the thoughts and feelings into a concise few sentences. That's important. All right, remember how Paul 
put an emphasis on intelligibility. It's why he says prophecy is better than tongues. That's what he means. I want to just real quickly kind of point out another practical thing, which is communicate this to them in a way that's not overly confident nor full of unnecessary apologies. The ceremonial apology. Everybody does it the first time they preach. Everybody does it the first time they pray for somebody. I mean, this might not be from God. I had a hard week. You know, I'm really tired. I'm really t-. You give this ceremonial, like, means nothing apology before you say something because you're trying to, like, hedge your bets a little bit, right? Soften the beach a little and lower the expectations, right? And just don't. It's, it's pointless. Just don't do those. Don't say those words. Just, just step out there. But at the same time, I think there's a problem, too, with some people who are overly confident and they haven't wrestled with this question of New Testament prophecy versus Old Testament prophecy. I am not writing scripture and I should not talk to you as though I am. Right? So, and, and, and that means thinking about, I love Vic, I think it was last week when he read Daniel. He got up and he said, the, God impressed upon my heart to read this to you. That's great, the way he put that. He's being pastoral. He's letting you know this is what's happening right now. Uh, I did not, uh, uh, I didn't hear a voice, it's, but there's God is doing something in my heart that brought me to Daniel chapter 2, and I want to read it to you, and that's clear, right? And I'm submitting that. So just submit it to them to be weighed by them and their local church. Offer no advice on application. The application is not your job. That's where you get in trouble. Here's what you should do with this. You should quit your job and... Go to school and learn Japanese and move to Japan by next year, right? That's, you just overstepped into a world where you don't need to be, right? And you don't need responsibility for that. Let, your, let their pastor have that problem, right? And let them have that problem and their community have that problem, not you. Application is something that happens elsewhere, almost always. Um, your job is to say, this is what I feel God is putting on my heart to say or the, the things that are in my mind for you as I was praying for you, however you want to put it. What I like to say is, I believe God is saying to me this for you. That, that, that there's faith in that, but it's also not God is saying this to you because that's not my job either. It's not my job to tell you that it's God. It's my job to say what I think, not what you should do with it, right? Please don't use weird words like, I had a vision. Uh, what? Just imagine yourself not being charismatic for a minute. Imagine yourself having no familiarity, and you are sitting in a church service, and someone stands up and says, I had a vision. I'm thinking you went on some kind of spirit quest and saw your spirit animal or something. I don't know what you're smoking, but like I'm imagining you like soft things, like you're seeing things out in front of you, just like if you say God spoke to me and you don't qualify that in any way. God speaks to me a lot with mental pictures, which is what people mean when they say vision. I have a strong imagination and God uses it quite often to speak to me, to things that, and they make really great sermon illustrations and great communication tools. People remember images. It's really great. And it's the way I think. I don't say to people, I had a vision, because it doesn't translate to most people. So say something other. Um, 
I already talked about God spoke to me as a one uh, far better as what Vic said. God impressed upon my heart. Um, think about love drives you to communicate better because you want to be understood. You want to be a blessing. Selfishness and pride will make you communicate in ways that make no sense but make you look spiritual. But as soon as you say the goal here is to love this person better and to express the heart and the love of God to them, all of a sudden it becomes very important to you to figure out how best to communicate something that's clear and not confusing. And I think that's part of what we're after here. This leaves room for the person to weigh it comfortably, but also it isn't spineless with the ceremonial apology. All right, so all of this flows from the command to love one another. Love makes it not about you, whether you're right or impressive, and makes it about the person to whom you're trying to bless. This will drive you to use all your gifts more, not just prophecy and tongues, but all the gifts, because you want to be a blessing. You just want to be a blessing to people. You want to build up the church. And you see yourself as being important, an important body member of the church. Like, I, I am connected, and I don't want to be disconnected. I want to be useful to the church, not, not a drain, and not a drag. Well, this is how. You just say, God, how much do you love your church? I often tell people, like, when you come to church or when you go to small group, on your way there, whether, however long the drive is, Spend that time thinking about and asking God, how can you use me this morning? How can you use me tonight at small group? And you think about the people in your group and you th- let them come to mind. And you start praying for them. God, how much do you love that person? How much do you love this church? What are you concerned about this morning? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? And how would you want to use me? So you're not just going as a dry sponge to soak up and receive and leave all full and flowing over. But instead, you want to come when you pour yourself out as fast as you can onto the body of Christ to be a blessing. And this, this is how, whether it's prophecy or wisdom or, or, or faith or any of the other gifts, it doesn't matter. Just use the ones you have. God, I'll, I'll just use me however. You should have so much to give when you walk in here. You're so busy running around trying to give it all out before the whole thing's over that you're tired and need a nap when, when it's all over. That's how it should be. And so whether it's here on Sunday morning or at a small group or meeting somebody, don't ever go meet somebody for coffee empty-handed. Don't ever. Never, never, never. Go and meet somebody for lunch. Oh, man, God, give me something. Give me something to say. Some, some kind of, give me a heart for this person so I'm not just going in there dry and like just a lump, a spiritual lump. I want to be ready and with something to give from you, whether it's a prophecy or encouragement or whatever. I think this is what Paul's after. This is his point. And it's what this church is missing in 1 Corinthians. This will drive you to use your gifts more, to communicate more clearly, to communicate more humbly, to point people to Jesus instead of yourself, all those things. So I'd like to take a moment just to be quiet. And I'll, I'll be quiet for a minute, and then I'll pray for you. And I just want to give you a chance to do this and to ask God, like, just let the Holy Spirit bring somebody to mind that's here. I mean, I guess they don't have to be here. I'm just trying to make it easy for you, right? You spend your whole time trying to think of somebody and then not actually get around to praying for them. And just pray in your mind, in your heart, just pray for them and ask them that question. God, how, do you, how, how much do you love this person? 
What are you thinking about them? And then I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and guarantee you that the, if you do that and then listen, listen to what's happening in your head, listen to what's happening in your heart as you pray for them, you're going to have something to say to them. Some kind of blessing, some kind of prayer or something. Something's going to come out of that. And then I just want to challenge you before you leave here this morning to pull them aside and share it with them. Submit it to them. That's it. Just say, hey, I've got no skin in the game here. I'm not, if, if this is not from God, that's fine. Just, that's fine. You can just toss it as just a, a, a random encouragement from someone. Do whatever you want with it, but here's kind of what's on my heart for you. And I just wanted to share it with you. And maybe then just pray for them. What can go wrong? What can go wrong with that? If you're submitting things that way to other people. I don't think it's all positives to me. Even if you're wrong, it's still going to be a blessing. Because you thought about somebody and you prayed for them. And you took the time to go over and say it to them. Um, if you're super nervous about this, grab a friend. Um, you can both be nervous together. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's take a minute and then I'll pray for you. And then we'll worship together and close out. And then um, y'all can do your thing. All right. God, I thank you that you are a God that loves to communicate with his kids. It's such a wonderful thing that you're not dead, you're alive, and you're always speaking and wanting to relate with us and connect with us. And you love talking to us and giving us ways to be a blessing to other people. God, there's so much joy for us in that too. And so, God, I just pray that even right now, God, that you would wash away every false perception of what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit express himself, manifest himself through us. God, that it would be demystified in one way, but in another sense, God, that we would be in awe of you, that you would use us to do such things. God, I pray that each and every one of us would become messengers for you, mouthpieces for you. God, that you would express yourself through us. And I pray this morning that all of us would just be used by you, God, not just in this meeting at this moment, but God, as we leave here, God, that you would use each one of us with all the gifts you've given us to be a powerful representation of the body of Christ in the world. God, that you would speak through us to 
bring the world to repentance, God, this hypothetical example that Paul gives of the unbeliever who hears you speak through your people so powerfully that their heart is exposed and they fall on their knees and come to repentance. God, that is the story we want to hear. And I want to see that happen. God, it starts with us listening to you and being willing to speak when we don't know if it's from you or if we're going to look like fools. So God, I pray this morning this would be a safe place for that to happen, that experience to happen. God, that you would give each one of us boldness, confidence to step out and be used by you. And God, we submit to you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.